happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone, Stone's Throw. Once again, yes, trying to throw my stone into the works, you know. Uh, <laughs> oh, these days history is hitting so hard. Right between the eyes, yes. Harder than ever back in the 50s. I remember... Um, my favorite professors at Mills College, uh, they were not listened to. Um, they did predict some of these things, and uh, I, I wish more people had listened, uh, particularly when it came to the environment. Uh, you remember, you remember uh, Silent Spring, that wonderful book. Anyway, back in the day... There were the prophecies. My favorite teacher saw these hordes, hordes of human beings at the borders throughout the world. She was like the Trojan prophet Cassandra, you know. She, she, <laughs> she told us particularly about the population explosion. And then a lot of people said, no, no, that was racist. And she mustn't talk that way because... Uh, there was still plenty of room on earth. Anyway, the four horsemen of the apocalypse were thundering down, at least on my life. Margaret Mead was another one who came to talk to those of us at Mills College, all these young women. She told us how it is that masses of suffering people, you know, the wretched of the earth, that... Uh, the masses are made up of individuals, any number of whom are women. Uh, at the same time, I was reading the 19th century um, literati, all those poet, poets and novelists all about. 19th century suffering uh, <laughs> was pretty bad, actually. I don't know if it was any worse. Uh, well, I, you know, uh, name your poison as we used to say. Uh, Tom Lehrer used to say that, um, clean mind, clean body, take your pick. Tom Lehrer was a satirist from my youth. He's been on television lately, and I just got a tremendous, a tremendous nostalgic ache. It seemed to me that he, more than a century ago, he, he was very prescient, um, uh, I don't know if there's anybody as sharp as he is today. Uh, the 1967 concert on PBS 
is a collage of works mostly from Scandinavia. And, uh, I, oh, I just love it, you know. So long, Mom, I'm off to drop the bomb. Uh, he wrote The Vatican Rag. Loved it. Uh, all his outrageous lyrics jolted the establishment in the 50s and the 60s. I don't know if we shock very easily these days, but I wish we could, uh, what is it, uh, had the same kind of sense of humor, that is, that we responded to a zen slap, you know. Nowadays, <laughs> people just sigh and say, oh, yes, you know. So what else is new? Um, I love the song, Tom Lehrer's song, about Werner von Braun, the Nazi scientist who came to work for us after World War II, um, I guess in military intelligence. Anyway, <laughs> he said, Nazi schmatzi, said Werner von Braun. His job was to send those rockets out into space he didn't care where they came down. That's not my department, said Werner von Braun. So it is these days. To hell with the consequences, yes. Après moi, the deluge. Same old, same old. Anyway, some old pundit once said that history is a nightmare from which we are trying to awaken. Indeed, indeed, indeed. Uh, <laughs> I just, what is it, I just find that at four o'clock in the morning, when I wake up, I have to listen to uh, all the old, all the old songs, the music men and women and Bob Dylan and Joan Baez, all those scores of songs and all those voices. Ah, nostalgia ain't what it used to be. One friend told me that I'm spending too much time dwelling on the past. Of course, there isn't any place else to go when you're 85. We are the past, we old folks. Actually, all of us are the past. The past is always present, present in everything we do and say. We're a collage of what has gone before. Now, I... Uh, I don't mind a bit uh, about what do you call that uh, the the uh, sadness of the past because I own my past. Uh, <laughs> it's the future. I'm a little worried about. Uh, anyway, all those songs and stories that I still hold close to my heart, they become a little bit out of date, all those fantasies. They were the reality then and the reality now, and it's all the same, boys and girls. Truth and fiction. All those, uh, all those loves and all those losses. Uh, I find myself letting my end run along the bookshelves looking for Bits and pieces, little pungent scraps of my own past history, wondering whether any of it still holds up, whether it's still au courant, you know. I'm going back in the 
days of the 60s, days of divorce and disaster and being a uh, a mother. I don't know what that, how do you, how do you be a mother? You, never mind, you are a mother. Anyway, the feminist awakening of the early 70s, I think, was the primary, primary historical event of my own internal life. Everything changed for me. I think that at the beginning, the beginning of my great awakening, yes, my renaissance, it was Sylvia Plath and Annie Sexton and all the suffering women uh I had been raised on Edna St. Vincent Millay, the love poets, and uh, suddenly <laughs> the subject was still the the genders, that is, uh, for women poets, the subject was still men, but once upon a time it was because they were passionately in love with them, and then suddenly they, they were murderously angry with them, although they were still... Uh, what was the word? What is the word? Uh, self-destructive. Uh, the great, the great inner witch. I fascinated with uh, Kali, the the dark goddess. Uh, I just remember the years, the decades when women were much too heartbroken to recover. <laughs> no, no closure around here. Uh, we didn't want to discover our real selves. Well, I didn't. I uh, didn't want to uh, look back. But then when I did, I discovered incredible things. And uh, I think I think we know now that most of our, well, let's call them our neuroses, uh, are buried in adolescence. Less and less so. More and more people are, you know, letting it all hang out. But Annie Sexton and Sylvia Plath, these two women, uh, both my age, both mothers, they were all about the heterosexual hell of an existence that could not be born without love. <laughs> However, with Love, along with love, came betrayal, bad faith. Uh, oh, the list is too long. Um, I always used to say that romanticism kills. It's murderous. Uh, when it's all over, the longing is all that lasts. That never goes away, even when we have recovered never, never recover, but finally become, uh, what is it, enabled again. I want to read you Annie Sexton's prose piece, The Letting Down of the Hair. It's just, for some reason, for some reason I found, I found it under uh, my file on, in my file on Suicide Blondes, and I, I just love this. It's of course, way out of date because heterosexual suffering, <laughs> the heterosexual white women I know, 
Oh, well, I, I really don't think that uh, any one race uh, <laughs> is any more, what do you call it, a- any more complex. Um, a woman is a woman is a woman, as Gertrude Stein says, rose is a rose is a rose. And back in the day, early 1970s, Annie Sexton wrote this wonderful prose piece uh the letting down of the hair. The first section is called Attracting Thousands. I live in a stone room, far from the luxury of draperies and transistors, far from the movie theaters and coffee houses, far from the men in their business suits, far from the children playing with their Lincoln logs. I have only the daily newspapers and letters from Ruth. To tell the truth, I'm a recluse. I'm as hesitant as Emily Dickinson. Like a novice, I am all dressed in white. A recluse, yes. Yet each day... I attract thousands. Next section titled The Stone Room. As I said, a stone room like the stones of Chile, like the craggy rocks of Gloucester, that desperate sea coast, the steps of Rome and Michelangelo and his stone creatures a stone room, a couple of five stories high, like a lion in a zoo. I adjust to my environment. I came up here long ago. I didn't hide because I was ugly. I I wasn't made of wolf's bane. I wasn't made of kidneys. I was made tall and of yellow hair. I'd had a normal life. Men and lipstick, daiquiris, and sunburns. My skin was the color of a teacup, fair but fragile, and hair, yellow, yellow hair, brush, brush. A stone room, as still and clean as a razor blade. All the time of the child in me, this room was my secret. Oh, Mr. Man in the Moon, where was your radar? Memory? Memory, here is your knife. A room to crawl into and hide. It's better than the laundry chute, better than the broom closet... A room unused except by birds. Yes. As a child, I would enter through a closet, standing tiptoe on a chair, up through the trap door into the forbidden. The dead maybe live up here, groaning every hour as they keep watch from the lookout window. 
Mother can't find me, little yellow ball. Father, you could find me if you would only look. But father is too sleepy to look. Else he'd come flying, come flying. Brother, old sneak mouth, can't find my hide-and-seek. You'll never see a stone room. Five stories up, shape of a merry-go-round, eleven feet in circumference, a room like the inside of a church bell, a chalice, a cave, a perch, queer bird that I am, a hidden place like the inside of a seed pod. Brush, brush. The next section is titled The Window That Watches the Prue. I have never cut my hair. Now that's something you ought to know right off. It fills the room the way ten giraffes would, twisting and twisting their long innocent necks. My hair is innocent, too. It knows no better. I have one window in this room, and from it can see over the countryside the lilacs in April, blushing like ten-year-old ballet dancers, the snows of Valentine's Day, laid out as smooth and as humped as a dentist's chair. And then there is the clock tower striking the hour, as faithful as a town crier. But today, today, the new leaves are green. They are my green ladies. They sing. They call out to me. They are the Christs of the grass. But at night, I watch the lights in the blackness at night, along with the stars, those neon jacks. I watch the brew and under it the skyline of Boston. The brew stands up like an electrified totem pole, the plane's jet over from Chicago on their way to Logan Airport in their bellies. They carry 120 people. I am alone. I am in my room. The room is my belly. It carries me. The next section is titled The Death of Everyone except myself. Here is my mother. On my 18th birthday, she said to me, Why, hair to the floor? Why? Every time you brush it, you make me feel I'm coming out of anesthesia. But I couldn't cut it. I was faithful to my hair. 
<clears throat> my father was indifferent. As he walked the rooms of our house, he acted as if he were reading the Wall Street Journal on the window pane. It is as normal, he would say, as coffee for breakfast, long hair, short hair, who cares? It wasn't normal at all. It was special. My brother, the younger, ever the teaser. What do you want to be taken for, Lady Godiva? My brother, the younger, ever the adorer. Please be mine like an old-fashioned valentine. And then he printed it out on yellow paper. Your hair is the color of the moon. And Ruth, Ruth, Ruth the Joker, hey, dust mop as my hair caught on the legs of the antique tables. Hey, Spanish moss, as her half-blind and adored greyhound ran after it like a string toy. Ruth, Ruth the boy child making jokes. Ruth the Joker, Ruth the girl child of two suicide attempts, Ruth the desperate, and Ruth the wise, who told the world. As the Arab said, enlarge the place of thy tent. <laughs> Brush. Brush. One night, my hair got in the pea soup that mother was stirring. She shouted, The sight of you, the sight of you makes me wish I were dead. The next day, she got her wish. She and my father out driving during a Sunday ice storm on their way to a cocktail brunch of caviar and Bloody Marys skidded in the gray Lincoln, hit a telephone pole. They died instantly. Their necks snapped. My father's cigarette was still burning in his hand when the police arrived. They were buried side by side. Side by side. Heads loose, two broken dolls. Where was the blessedness? Where were the deep roots that grew me? You'd better cut your hair, my brother said after the funeral. As if I could bring them back with a pair of scissors. After that, I came up to my stone room for good. My brother didn't desert me. Little brother, now a man of sorrow. Now a man in a plain hood. Yet I couldn't help him. I could only help myself. I lived in a stupor of air. Brother pushed trays of food up through the trapdoor daily. 
I have not seen him face to face since. However, he occasionally sends notes on the first anniversary of my parents' death. The note read, You killed them. You killed them, moon girl, a black curse on you. Oh, but that was a long time ago yesterday. A note to my middle age. Come down, come down, you yellow-haired martyr. The next section is called Ruth. Most of the time... It's just the newspaper carefully refolded and the mail envelopes addressed to the lady of the hair and so forth. Letters from the people and once in a while an areogram from Ruth with its Japanese stamp. Ruth is my only contact with the past. Ruth, my little Zen girl, with her short, cropped hair. Ruth. Ruth. The American girl, with lovers one after the other, long after she was married. Ruth. She changed like a seascape, ever-changing, ever-embracing. <laughs> no matter what it was, she was faithful to it. She was as obedient to each obsession as an old man washing his feet. Ah, oh, the lovers were all types. A drummer on pep pills and Ruth lapping her own pep pills. Dust, dust, dust. Trapping, trapping her pills. In the bureau drawer, there when she could get no more, she took the dust, the dust, little Ruth with the foot doctors who air conditioned her gasped like a mechanical fish. <laughs> yes, yes. Ruth with her cousin, the accountant, yes. A precise lover timing his thrust, she said, with a minute hand. Ruth, who, after years of therapy, gave it all up for Zen. She watched her mind as a cat watches over a fish tank. She was large with her awareness. She was pregnant with her instincts. She had enlarged the place of her tent. Here in America, she found the answer. The puzzle to me is solved, she said with a new grace. And then her banker husband, first National Bank VP, was sent to Tokyo. Tokyo, the only city in the world with just one English-speaking psychiatrist, or so she said. Her husband was in therapy four times a week. Ah, to be a banker was to have half a mouth. 
Or so she said. Brush. Brush. The next section is titled The Letting Down of the Hair. Here in my room, I have my hair to care for. In the soapstone sink, I wash from 9 to 11.45 in the morning. Wash a woman, wash a woman. A dance, a dance to be done. There is so much hair, so much sucked up honey. It is the work of my life. This has been Jennifer Stone reading to you from the works of Annie Sexton. I'll be back another time. Till then, go easy, and if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Hello, KPFA listeners. Come spend a beautiful summer day at the 20th Annual Laurel Street Fair World Music Fest on Saturday, August 10th in Oakland, California. We are committed to keeping our festival wheelchair accessible and open to all. Enjoy an amazing lineup of music and art from around the corner and around the globe with live performances by Kita Panas, Fito Reynoso, Orchestra Gold, The Onyx, Siomara, Prescott Circus, DJ Cecil, and much, much more. We invite you to bring your family and enjoy our morning yoga class, kids' carnival and petting zoo, global cuisine, interactive art exhibits, and much more at the 20th Annual Laurel Street Fair.